Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Greg Strawbridge. He is the pastor of All Saints Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He's authored and edited a number of books, including The Case for Covenant Communion and The Case for Covenantal Infant Baptism. He also runs WordMP3.com. Greg, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. Glad to be here. I interrupted you. You were preparing food for your congregation. You not only feed them on Sunday with word and sacrament, you you are going to feed them literally. Uh, men serving the women, yeah, just to, you know, just as Christ loved the church, you're 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 going to serve red meat while you still can until AOC <laughs> makes it illegal. Yes, we're serving some prime rib for a ladies' kickoff ministry dinner this Friday night. I've been preparing. I, I will have about- you know all the Democrats that said that they were against, you know, were, were worried about red meat and climate change all went to Iowa at the some steak fry and all manned the grill. Even vegan Cory Booker manned the grill. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have a nice time. It's been something we've done for oh, a decade or more and just a really nice five-course meal. The five courses um, have to do with the ministry theme this year of uh, spiritual gifts. So we're looking at five passages that correspond to each course, the four passages Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, and um, Ephesians 4 for those spiritual gifts. And then the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13. And that's the course for the prime rib, of course. Yeah, I, you know, if any of our listeners are anywhere near Pens- central Pennsylvania, I'd encourage them to go visit your church because you guys know how to celebrate. I mean, you celebrate liturgically and you also celebrate as a community together. And I think like, more churches could it's a it's a great lesson churches could learn i feel like churches would be better attended if they could if they you know knew how to celebrate and i think yeah, that's, a, that's a gift you guys have it's one of the things that we've talked about in our context is just for a liturgical church that that looks at the calendar that has a liturgical service that's not hip with the greatest music of the day and all that what do you do to outreach people and, and to to reach out for folks i think one thing is you you show how the church year and celebration and ministry is uh, coordinated with the life of the church. And so you're not doing it all on Sunday morning. You're also doing it on Friday night. And on Friday night, get together, have a big feast. And then Sunday morning, you get together and have an even greater feast. Well, this is not uh, – our first reading is 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 sort of uh, – it's ironic as we're talking about – is it really ironic? I Like – I think it's ironic. I feel like sometimes people use that word to mean coincidentally or interesting, but maybe it's ironic that as we're talking about celebrating and feasting, our Old Testament reading this week in the lectionary is Lamentations. <laughs> yeah. And this is kind of like the, uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, uh, this is the hindsight on Jeremiah's prophecy. These are, this is people living in Jerusalem and it's, things are dark. And, you know, the, her princes have become like stags. Uh, Judah's in exile. She's living among the nations, finds no uh, resting place. 
Um, and then the lecture includes verses from chapter one and chapter three. Uh, but then there is this uh, note of hope um, that this, I, you know, I call the mind, you know, the Lord and, you know, I have hope and that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Yeah, I think that uh, lamenta- Lamentations, one of the things interesting about the text is I believe the first word of Lamentation is and, and in Hebrew. And it's a connection to, of course, the book of Jeremiah. So it's like the, it's like the, the epilogue to Jeremiah. And oftentimes, just look at the structure of biblical stories, parables, it's often the epilogue that gives you the real sense of what's going on. And the epilogue is, of course, the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed, and the people are now in exile, and there is a devastation, as he says, from daughter Zion uh, has departed all her majesty. Her princes have become like stags that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. So it's a state of devastation and judgment. Which temporal judgments happen? Throughout history, especially we see it in the people of God in the story of the Bible, but this happens to all kinds of different places and all kinds of different uh, people over the years. I was reflecting just today as I was taking a walk and thinking about the nature of uh, ministry and calling people. Uh, I mean, I'm in Galatia. I'm studying Galatians chapter six, and Galatians six has the passage that whatever you sow, you reap. The the law of the harvest, and I, I was thinking, you know, you. You need to make clear, as a preacher of the Word, that there are temporal judgments that happen. Sometimes those things are very near in time. You never know. But often, uh, we don't have the judgment. We need to see the long-term consequences. I don't actually fear that North Korea is going to send a nuclear bomb to Lancaster County anytime soon. There could be other devastations that happen, but we're not really facing the same thing that Jerusalem faced, you know, in this time of Jeremiah. Uh, what we see here is this devastating judgment of biblical proportions, quite literally. Uh, we don't always face that, but but we do face the long-term consequences of sin, the, the, the fact that we reap what we sow if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption if we, flow, if we sow to the Spirit— and in the spirit, we reap the fruits of the life of the ages or the life of the age to come, which we currently participate in as those in Christ. And we need to tell people, I think, look at this historical judgment. Remember, this can happen. And also remember that the long-term judgment uh, can also happen. But God is with you. Look to him for comfort. Yeah, you know, I. it's interesting that in the midst of this, as you say, judgment of Biblical proportions, quite literally. This passage, this jewel in chapter 3 comes out. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And if you just threw that up there to most people that didn't know the context, like, that's beautiful. But they didn't, they wouldn't know the awful, tragic context it comes from. And I I had the privilege yesterday of having on my Give and Take podcast that the new president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, he, uh, was my teacher at Pittsburgh Seminary. And he had a tragedy where he had family members die in a car accident. I remember it. I think it was, I think it was his sister and somebody else in, in the family. And I, I remember when it happened. And he writes about that in the book, in a chapter. The book, his new book is called Why Church? And it's out, out it, the, the chapter organizations are come, stand, kneel, sit, 
go. And he talks about the Christian faith and how these practices that, you know, you come to church, you stand in praise, you sit to hear the word and the sacrament and receive the sacrament and you, you know, all these things, but kneeling in confession. And in this section of on standing and praising, he talks about this time where he, and I, I, it's interesting because I knew him at this time where, and this is an upbeat, joyful guy. He just would sit for hours and stuff, couldn't go to seminary chapel and didn't go to lunch. And he's an extroverted guy. And then narrates in the book how he eventually started coming back to worship, you know, to seminary chapel and, and, and to lunch and, and realizing, starting to sing the hymns again and realizing that his consolation was really in God and how that, that praise was uh, really healing for him. And I, I was thinking of that, the lyrics to that great hymn, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Oh, joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I chase the rainbow through the rain. And feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. A cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust's life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall endless be. I think that that's, like whether we, we feel it or not, that maybe God's deepest and most tender mercies are waiting for us in things that, in places we can't imagine seeing or hearing because we, we we're in the throes of uh, the darkness. Yeah, I think that this passage is one of those that's very memorable and a great memory verse. It's actually in the topical memory system, this idea that uh, great is your faithfulness, which has been turned into a classic hymn, as you know. And the the, the takeaway phrase to me is, uh, your mercies are new every morning, every morning. So you blew it yesterday, get up and realize the mercies of the Lord are new every day and trust Him, and walk with Him. And uh, God's grace flows through that kind of person, because actually, as a believer, there is no other person. <laughs> everyone has is in the same situation. Uh, everyone ends the day realizing that things could have gone better in some respects, and then the mercies are new of, uh, every morning. The sun never shines through this window of mine at the home of the blue Oh, but the place is filled with the sweetest memories Our next reading is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 here. I mean, all of Paul's letters are personal, but here, I mean, these letters to Timothy, they're some of the most personal. He addresses him, Timothy, my beloved child. And he talks about his gratitude to God here and remembering him in his prayers and recalling his tears. He talks about his mother, his um, mother and grandmother and and knowing this. And and he encouraged him to not be ashamed of the Lord or uh, or of Paul, his prisoner. Um, and he just talks about this grace that was given to he and Timothy in Christ before the ages began, before time, but it's now being revealed. And so here again, Paul is is suffering and and, and struggling, um, and yet he also sees, you know, the rainbow through the rain or chasing the rainbow through the rain as he writes to his friend, confidant, and and mentee. Yeah, I think about Second Timothy. Um, very likely, Paul was in the Mamertine prison in Rome, which is a subterranean prison which uh, was a big aqueduct that they used for uh, putting people in. And and I think that the story is that they had rigged it such that after a while, the, the prisoners that didn't go, 
there to some other execution or some other judgment, uh, they would just open up a, a little valve and it would flood from the sewage and uh, from the river sewage. And then people would just be washed away and die. And it's like a, fl- a big toilet basically for prisoners. That's uh, that's where Paul stayed, Mamertine prison. Pa- apparently both Peter and Paul stayed there according to the plaque in Rome to this day. And then I think we believe that Paul went from there to um, stand before Nero, and Nero had him executed. I think that I have I have been in the place where very likely Paul was beheaded, and then after he was beheaded, his body was thrown into the into the Colosseum. I think I've been to that place uh, before in the Colosseum. But that's what they did to Roman soldier, Roman citizens. They didn't uh, just crucify them or do all these kinds of things. They just beheaded them and then threw their body in, you know, for animals and such. And so Paul's writing this at a pretty low spot at the end of his life, and yet he's holding. I mean, on when to does faith. he say like after the toilet, after the sewage comes, and after he sort of like has a you know uh, septic kind of, I guess, waterboarding? Tra- does he say, "Oh, by the way, can I get a parchment, please"? Like. <laughs> well, yeah, if you reconstruct the whole thing, I mean, th- th- I think that what, what they had is they had a, a, a place where they could flush it. They didn't flush it every day. I mean, they held prisoners for something else. That's the way Roman prisons worked. It wasn't like you were you were there to pay your time over, you know, uh, penitentiary time. If you were there, you were, you were being held for something to come. And in this case, we believe it was uh, to stand before Nero, and, and I think that he did that. Now, this is, by the way— the book of Acts ends, Paul's in Rome, he goes to visit, he, he's able to stand before Nero, apparently he's released, he goes to Spain, he gets in trouble there or somewhere along the way, and gets put brought back, and that's when he's in the prison. That's that's what we think happens is historically. And so then uh, in that context, you know, people are waiting, they're, they're in a very nasty place, but he's very likely talking to Dr. Luke, and Luke is is his amanuensis, his secretary that he's talking to who writes this down for Paul on behalf of Paul. That's very likely what is going on. He, he's in a nasty sort of uh, place, but he is able to kind of converse and, you know, uh, uh, talk with people and visit, you know, with possibly visit with uh, Luke. I, th- I think Luke is the very li- likely guy to, to be the amanuensis. The uh, secretary for this, Greg. Situation. If that's not how it happened, it should have. <laughs> well, you got to reconstruct biblical history as much as you can. But certainly, he's you know at the end of his life. The, the sad thing about the story here is that people have deserted him. They've kind of turned away from him. There's been a a loss of you know fidelity across the people that he's known and worked with um, at the very end of the book. But but here. He's just he's just telling his number one disciple Timothy, be faithful. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. Realize that following Jesus does involve suffering. Jesus himself told Paul that in uh, the Acts twenty four passage where he recounts uh, his his uh, testimony and seeing the risen Christ. I, I'll show you, Paul, how much you must suffer for my name. That's that's the language. And so he reminds them, just just remember, God's in control. Uh, don't be ashamed, but rather uh, follow, hold to the standard of sound of sound teaching, of hygienic teaching is a literal word there, the the teaching that's that makes you healthy and in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
Yeah, it's it's the easy rebuke to the prosperity gospel, right? The idea is like if you just have the right kind of faith, you won't, you know, you'll you'll, you'll just get all exaltation. Well, who had the most faith and faithfulness? Jesus. Who suffered the most? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem for for the for the prosperity. Yeah, yeah, but you could say there, but that's the Old Testament, Scott. <laughs> That's the yeah, Old it's, Testament. It's interesting too. <laughs> actually, that, that's not the Old Testament. Right, <laughs> this exactly. is actually yeah, no, straight up actually, the New yeah, Testament. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, the other thing I think about, like you know, I think about the original Star Wars movie from the you know the first one, The New Hope. You know, now, you know, however you date them now or number them now, but when the the first one that came out, when Luke Skywalker is talking to his uh, aunt and uncle on Tatooine, and he's talking about uh, wanting to go off to the academy. And they say, no, you have to stay there. And, you know, this seems just like a family squabble. And then all of a sudden you hear this. And it's like the filmmaker, it's Lucas telling us, hey, this just looks like a family squabble. But somehow this family squabble is part of the, the, the ongoing battle, an epic story of the cosmos and for the cosmos. And I think it's something similar here, like Paul in his suffering and, and in these daily correspondences with people that anybody would overlook in the Roman Empire, he's hearing that cosmic do do like that this is even now he's in the toilet prison uh, and he looks much less remarkable than Caesar or even your average you know up you know a Roman two bit uh, patrician he his story is bound up with a story that's cosmic and saving and true. And and he you know is not ashamed of it and can take consolation in that fact, which is beautiful. Yes, through many tribulations. On to the gospel reading, Luke seventeen verses 5 through 10, the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith, which, I mean, that seems like a good, you know, petition to the Lord, but the Lord replies, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant in the sea and it would obey you. And then he has this interesting little mini parable, demi parable, like if you, you know, who among you, uh, you know, if you were the master and they're the servant or the slave, um, you know, who would, who would, uh, who would just come in and the slave would just come in from plying the field, um, who would you say, come in here and take your place at the table? Wouldn't you just say, prepare suffer, you know, supper for me? Uh, and he sort of says, you know, so also when you have done all you're, you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We've done only what we ought to have done. Yeah. It's very interesting. I, I like the old uh, way that that's translated. You are an unprofitable servant. You've only done what you've been commanded. I, there's something about that phrase, unprofitable servant, that I've, that rings in my ear as a way to translate it. Uh, very nicely done on that. Um, with regard to the setting, I think that if you look at the other Gospels, this this call that if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, it, it does seem to have to do with judgment coming on Jerusalem. And I think that may very well be why Jeremiah and Lamentations is connected to this in the lectionary. Uh, Jerusalem was judged back in Jeremiah's day. Jerusalem was judged uh, here in the day of of um, Jesus in in the generation following that with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And in the other Gospels, it makes it clear that it's a mountain that can be cast into the sea, mountain of, of Jerusalem. And so in a certain sense, there is a prophetic judgment 
a theme that runs through, I think, these readings uh, from the lectionary on this day. In the case of the parable itself, um, I have never really looked in depth at the parable, but I would say that uh, the 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 principal teaching is that we are servants, we are slaves, we do what we're commanded, and we don't take um, e- well. So, for example, trying to connect the first verse with the the latter passage, uh, if if God increases our faith and we are able to see real answers to prayer, uh, real real changes in the world as a result of our faith, of our activity in the faith, of our prayer, uh, John fifteen talks about. Ask if, if John fifteen six, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. It, so think about that as the the illustration that you are really abiding in Christ. Whatever you, you ask, whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. That's a place that not many of us get to. I would say, where we can just say, yes, I'm I'm seeking the Lord in such a way that I see fulfilled prayer in my life. By the way, a practical hint on that. Uh, write down what you're praying for quite specifically and see if God answers it. And uh, be praying, first of all, then write it down, then see if God answers it. It's an amazing thing. I've done this over different seasons in my life, and uh, God God answers prayer. And and here he says, increase our faith, and if you do that, then you, you, know, you can see great things happen in the world. But even when you do, even when you arrive at the, the level of the George Mueller, the guy who would just you know, leading an orphanage and didn't have food on the table and have everybody sit down and then a truck would crash in the front of their uh, orphanage and he'd go out and get plenty of, you know, food and feed everyone because he'd prayed and saw so many different people uh, come to Christ, all kinds of, you know, wonderful examples of the Christian life that preachers often quote. But assuming those are true, even when you get to the level of that sort of answered prayer and that sort of faith that sort of belief, life of faith, uh, if you will, even if you get to the level of Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin and all these Word of Faith people, at least what they project that they're at, even if you were there, and I, by the way, I say that. And you're sorry. not there unless you have a jet. I, I'm, yeah. When, once, once you get to the level where you can say, say to this jet, fly me to the next gig, once you get to that level, even if you're at that level, then you're still an unprofitable servant. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what Jesus is is saying. Obviously, I don't, uh, I'm not down with the jet flying uh, thing. But just as an extravagant illustration, if you had this great faith, so as to move mountains, uh, you need still love, and you need still to recognize humility and the place that you are as a a servant at best, a servant that's is saved by grace at best, an unprofitable servant. Yeah, it's interesting. I, Father Capon, Robert Capon, in Kingdom Grace Judgment, the big book on the. Do parables. you like him? I, I hear I you him. quote him from I time to him. time. On the parables, <laughs> you quote friend. him all the time from from. He on has the this long excursus on the mustard seed, like a page and a half, and he says, "I apologize for all that time on faith, like a mustard seed, but not very seriously because of the verses that follow." In Luke seventeen seven through ten, Jesus ties off the threads of this of this tissue of littleness and leastness with a demi parable, just to make sure the apostles understand clearly that they must not turn faith into a work. He sets them a mental exercise. Suppose he says one of you has a slave who comes in from twelve hours hard labor in the field. What do you say to him? Have a seat, Mishka, and let me get you some chopped liver and a little chicken soup. 
You do not. You say, Mishka, rattle those pots and pans and serve me some supper, then you can eat. And do you thank him when he does it? You do not. It was his job. Remember that the next time you want some kind of super faith or expect me to be super happy because you think you've got it, you've got only one job to do, and that's drop dead for me. That's all I need from you because everything else that needs doing, I do. And I'm not going to thank you for what you do or reward you for what you achieve because no matter how nifty any of it may be, it's all useless for my purposes. All tainted, like even your faith, with your boring commitment to winning. I'm just going to come to you in death and raise you up with my life. And then say, Mishka, come on up here with Arthur and Lazarus and all the rest and let you and me have a ball. That's beautiful. Good word. Thank you again for being a guest on the show, Greg, and you're you're regular and I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Scott. Have a wonderful time editing all this and making sure you run it through the theological grammar checker checker so that you can so that we have no errors in what we've said exactly if we did that we'd probably have a three-minute podcast thanks for listening to the synaxis podcast if you like what you heard please go to itunes give it a rating write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Greg Strawbridge for being my guest today. And thanks again to you all for listening. Until next time, fare thee well.